We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Mets Therapy. My name is Andrew Claudio. Your next session begins right now. Coming at you on a Tuesday morning, a few hours after the New York Mets defeated the San Diego Padres 5-0 to make it three of their last four. Like I said, the sky is not falling. In fact, I was rooting for the Atlanta Braves to lose tonight, which I happen to do every night that there is an Atlanta Braves game. Because I wanted them to fall into a tie with the Mets for first place, which the Mets would currently have the tiebreaker because most of their wins this year are against the Florida Marlins. Yes, I call them Florida. The Miami Marlins. They'll always be the Florida Marlins to me. Point being, we could have overreacted the other way. Talking about a first place ball club through 11 games this season. And look, to any takeaways from this game against the Padres, which I'll, I'll talk about some positives. The Mets are have rebounded from that Milwaukee series to win three of their next four, which you want to see one of the, this is why baseball is awesome. One of the cooler things that you saw that, that sixth inning when the Mets hit two 85 footers within two batters, I believe it was. So it was, it was Guillaume. So it was in three batters. So Guillaume with a bunt that hugs the third baseline goes about 85 feet, stays fair Two batters later. Nito does the same thing except swings as hard as he could and hit one about 85 feet that landed and stayed fair on the third baseline. Only in baseball do you see weird shit like that. And I, it's just why I love the sport. The uniqueness of it is, is always fascinating. You did get some big hits from Francisco Lindor and Jeff McNeil. A thought about lineup construction. That's where we'll start because Starling Marte is going to miss some time. He, on a head first slide, I believe the ball hit him in the head. And I thought he left because he was being evaluated for a concussion. He was apparently just being evaluated for a neck strain um, on the slide. So we'll see if it, it's day to day, how much time he's going to miss. But I'll tell you, I like McNeil batting third. I understand why they don't because the Mets lineup. It just flat out makes more sense when McNeil's hitting fifth. He's not the most patient hitter. And so you want him to just focus on hitting the ball and getting a hit no matter what. I just, the fact that he's going to have Nimmo ahead of him, it provides protection for Lindor. I'm not even sure if it's Marte or Lindor who I'd moved down. I just love McNeil in the three hole. A lot of Daniel Murphy vibes as far as I'm concerned without the, the, unexpected power that showed up in 2016. Um, I like I like this lineup when McNeil's hitting third. Just flat out how it's an aesthetic. He's the old school three hitter. 
as far as I'm concerned. I do understand that like the best argument against this type of lineup construction has always been that you're only the three hitter once. That's the first inning. After that, it's just you show up whenever your spot shows up throughout the game. In fact, a couple years ago, I was able to implement this kind of strategy in a, a in my personal life in a softball game. I understand softball is not the same, but coached a team all year. We had a lineup that was set, had the ability to add a buddy for the championship game. He showed up. I batted him leadoff. And everybody was like, why don't you hit him clean up? Come on, we got our first three guys on and we, we he hits us all home. It'll be awesome. And our response was, that's great for the first inning. Now what about the rest of the game? I want him hitting leadoff. We get him as many at-bats as possible. And then we keep the rest of the lineup exactly the same. And I think that's that's the same philosophy. And that's why you've seen guys go to suddenly hit second throughout throughout the sport. Like Mike Trout was hitting second for a while. Aaron Judge throughout most of his career has hit second. That's why last year in the playoffs, I understood why Judge was hitting leadoff. The Yankees didn't have another guy they can really trust. And it's like, this guy's the best run producer in the sport right now. I need as many at-bats from him as possible. Now, the, the tricky thing about Judge is he makes more sense in the two-hole if you have like a DJ LeMahieu who's hitting or a Harrison Bader like the Yankees did in the playoffs last year. But after the first inning, it's very much about getting as many at-bats for your best your best all-around hitters. The Mets have a couple of them, which is why I'm, I've never really been worried about at least the top seven in this lineup and specifically the top five. It's just nice to see Jeff McNeil get more... Uh, opportunities like Lindor did the uh, last season with those those guys in the three hole. And look, Lindor has McNeil behind him for protection. McNeil has Alonzo behind him for protection. Uh, it's it's an aesthetically pleasing lineup, if I do say so myself. But obviously, get well soon, Stalling Marte. Hope to see you return soon. And as far as the offense is concerned, look, they're not hitting. Uh, as a whole, they took advantage of some really awful pitching this weekend from the Marlins. Oh my gosh, the walkathons that we had on on Friday on uh, for the home opener. This is that's that's a game where this this team in particular is just going to take advantage of you. And like Brandon Nimmo has ten walks already this season. Most of those are against the Marlins. Um, I, I just especially for a team like the Marlins, who the one positive that you took from them is that they have a loaded rotation. Uh, yeah, that was, that was fascinating to see. But as far as actually making contact with the ball and not taking advantage of hitting like that, it's still a struggle early. Um, they've been able to get six wins so far this season without the benefit of a lot of guys contributing in the lineup. But... Let's go back to our favorite segment, small sample size. Let's let's just look at a sample size, these 11 games. So let me read off some, some placements for the team uh, in all of baseball, where, where in offense ranks. So in offense so far this season, 23rd in batting average, 19th in on-base percentage, 24th in slugging percentage, and 24th in OPS. Those are the four main metrics that you use to evaluate how good an offense is and 23rd, 19th, 24th, and 24th. That's bottom 11 in all four of them. An average slugging in OPS, that's bottom seven throughout the sport. These are the numbers of the Houston Astros so far this year. Now, I understand the Astros have the benefit of the doubt of being the defending World Series champions, the team that is in the World Series, it seems, every single season. The American League dynasty. I know they're not a major league dynasty because... 
we need more than one championship that we actually count in their record book. But as far as the American League is concerned, it's been the Houston Astros Invitational since 2017. Um, And... I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt that they will not be this throughout the season. They will not be in the bottom 11 in all of these statistics. Still very early, folks. I think the Astros are going to be top seven in all of these by the end of the year. I think the Mets are going to be top seven by the end of the year. Um, That's why I'm not worried uh, to start the season. You still got some bright spots that show you what this team can actually do. Like I mentioned, the McNeil at bat tonight, the double that drove into the Lindor double that drove into Pete putting on the display that he did from the power side of things. I know he's only hitting 214. I know some of you love batting average. He's also not walking. That's on either just a 298 on base percentage. But man, the power numbers, the team has 10 home runs. He's got half of them so far this season. And it's why like... Look, I sat through some very bereft of power Mets teams throughout my time watching them. I remember the 2003 season when Tony Clark, the current head of the MLB Players Association, led the league, excuse me, led the Mets in home runs with 17. Uh, I remember the uh, Marlon Bird is having a good season so far season when we hoped we we found a gem with him and it was just like dude just whenever you have to go please get traded so we can we can move on and 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 find a right fielder that's actually going to be here for a while um i've sat through some really poor poor mets teams that just didn't have a power hitter in fact this this organization has never really had a homegrown power hitter like this like kingman wasn't homegrown cespedes wasn't uh piazza wasn't beltran wasn't david wasn't like a power Hitter. He was an all-around contact hitter that also hit home runs. And then Alonzo shows up. And I got to say, like, it's him and Piazza for best power hitters that I've ever seen wear this uniform. And it's why, like, I've seen some people complain about him when he goes through slumps. He's not, he's not the best hitter. He's not like a, a Keith Hernandez. He's never going to hit. I don't think he's ever going to hit 300 in his career as far as like maximizing every at bat. But as far as, you know, a guy we can count on to eventually pass Daryl for home runs and potentially like just power his way in, in lineups for the next decade. That's why I'm just, I'm thankful for Pete Alonso and when he'll have these stretches, like we saw four home runs in three games. It's just really fun to see. So shout out to Pete off to a good start to his season and 893 OPS. I will take it. And this team, despite their offensive struggles this year, a six and five start, one game out of first place, over 500 through 11 games. You'll take it. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. 
Indeed.com slash blue wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. However, it is not all positive. I have three negatives I want to get to. I want to I want to give you guys a place to hear some negativity here in this session. So the first one, and I should mention, like, only really one of these three I'm really upset about. Like, like genuinely, it bothers me that this is happening. But the first one is Max Scherzer. And what I said in the last episode, in the last session, I'll get better at that, is that I don't like that he's becoming a five-inning pitcher. Because this is now three straight starts where I haven't seen a good sixth inning from Max Scherzer. The first two were because he got lit up in the sixth inning and ran out of gas. And this one was because he didn't pitch in the sixth inning. I uh, went through five scoreless innings tonight. One hit, three walks, six strikeouts, uh, only 97 pitches. And you'll take that from Tyler McGill or David Peterson or, good Lord, would I take that right now from Cookie Carrasco. Max Scherzer is supposed to be your ace. Max Scherzer is supposed to be the $43 million man. Max Scherzer is supposed to be the guy that you're okay letting DeGrom walk and not going after any of the other big-name pitchers this offseason because you got him, and he's one half of your two-headed monster at the top of your rotation. And through three starts, I'm a little concerned. I want to emphasize the word little. I'm not overly concerned. He's not washed. I'm not writing him off for the rest of the year. I am a little concerned. Now, I went to his StatCast page, and I don't... I don't subscribe to StatCast as gospel. I do think they there is a lot of good tracking data that measures certain things to give you an idea of how guys are going to perform. And like StatCast for me, for those who don't know what it is, it's like a website that measures measures the things that are kind of important in baseball. How hard you're hitting, how uh, fast your pitches are, what your average exit velocity off the bat is, how often you're getting guys to swing and miss compared to league average. Like There is a ton of useful information. What I get frustrated is the people that go to StatCast for like, like, like weighted on base and expected batting average matters more than your actual on base and actual batting average. Like it is, at a certain point, results do matter, not what you're technically expected. This is an unlucky sport. Like I understand if you're if you hit a ball hard and it lands like specifically tonight, you Darvish walked away with five earned runs tonight, and two of them were runners that scored because they hit a ball 85 feet and they just happened to stay fair. He didn't do anything wrong. Guys just got really lucky. So Statcast kind of eliminates the luck factor and shows how guys are actually hitting and whether you should be concerned or whether you should just be be patient with them. And what you see with Max Scherzer through three starts is he's allowing guys to hit the ball very hard and very far so far this season. Um, the one stat that really stands out to me is barrel rate. Um, the barrel of the bat where the sweet spot is. Uh, it's where every hitter wants to hit it. For the most part of his career, Max Scherzer has missed the barrel of people's bats to the point of 8% of the time is usually where he he finds himself at least less than 8% of the time. This season, it's at 17%, so almost double, which is not great. Um. I'm worried that he's becoming a five-inning pitcher. That is the fear long-term that we're going to be looking up in mid-May and he's a five-inning pitcher, which if he's throwing five scoreless and he's able to give you five scoreless in a postseason game, like you'll take it. Like I'm not going to write him off completely, but 
That's not an ace. That's not what you need from your ace or your rotation, especially in this rotation. That's that's really old. And that was that's my concern through three starts is that like the the strategy tonight that the Padres used clearly. Like shout out to Tim Britton who tracked this in his his post game article recapping this game. He threw 97 pitches tonight. 41 of them came with two strikes. And of those 41 pitches, 14 were foul balls with two strikes. So the Padres' plan was like, make contact, foul as many as pitches off, stay in at-bats, we'll get him out of the game early. His last at-bat, or this batter, I should say, against Austin Nola, Aaron, Aaron's brother, the nine-hitter for the San Diego Padres, um... Started off 0-2. He was at 88 pitches at that point. Three straight pitches out of the strike zone. Then five consecutive foul balls before he finally strikes him out on a pitch out of the zone that he got in the chase. That's just not the Max Scherzer we've been used to seeing, both in the division on the other side of the mound and uh, on the other side of the field, I should say. And it's just not the Max Scherzer we saw last season. Um, now, look. It's three starts. His fourth against Oakland could be a seven-inning gem, and we're sitting here Sunday night like, oh, that was silly. Max Scherzer's fine. He's going to be fine. We don't have to worry about anything. I This is the first time that I'm like, okay, we're now three starts in, and you haven't pitched a good sixth inning yet. It's it's one thing of note that, I've, that I'm looking at that I'm hoping this will not be a worry a couple starts from now. So that is my... My first negative and my one minor, very minor worry about Max Scherzer. The next thing, which is whatever the step above minor that isn't major, but still not totally minor worry. (laughs) I hope that made sense to all of you. Eduardo Escobar. So we have four more games to add to the sample size. I know one of them includes a home run, but you want to talk about his stat cast page. The man has one barrel this season. He has hit one ball on the sweet spot. Now, that was going into tonight. I'm sure the sack fly that he had was a barrel, so maybe he's up to two. And yes, he hit a home run this weekend. It was awesome. Um, His average exit velocity is 80 miles per hour. Um, I've seen and potentially partaken in faster speeds on the cross island uh, on when I'm driving. I don't... I, I can't get past the Robbie Cano comparisons that I made last week and just the observations I've made so far that this guy looks like an aged player through 36 at-bats. And he's four for 36 to start the season. I'm not totally worried about it because I imagine, I imagine the front office sees what we're seeing and that their quick decision to pull the trigger on designating... Cano for assignment last year is why they'll they won't hesitate to do the same with Escobar if we're two weeks from now and he's still hitting 120 on the season. Um, and look, this is where you you actually do kind of lean on the stat cast metrics. It's just it shows a guy that's not getting around on certain pitches, it's not making contact, he's not elevating the ball. Um, that that at bat with the bases loaded on Sunday, I just Literally anybody else other than Tomas Nito, which that will be part of my last point. Literally anybody else could have got that at bat and I would have been okay. I, I really would have been fine with literally anybody else. You could have sent Vogel back up there against the lefty. I'm not even sure he was available. Let 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 Max Scherzer take that at bat. I really was confident with with anyone else taking that at bat. And unfortunately, they weren't able to 
to that, that. I mean, a double in that spot, a single in that spot, and you're back in the game. And I just have no confidence with him in that spot. So um, it's early for him. It might be getting late. And we'll see if they actually, with Beatty doing what he's doing in AAA, if there isn't a quick decision in a couple of weeks that the third baseman of the future is going to become the third baseman of the present sooner rather than later. Speaking of a prospect becoming the present sooner rather than later. My last point. Why is Francisco Alvarez here? Now, I want to start here because I don't want to make this a needle versus Alvarez thing. Needle's got three hits this year. One of them went 80 feet tonight and was not hit hard. Like he's three for 19. He's really two for 19 because the, the one he had today was just like extremely lucky. He's not providing you anything on offense at the moment. He's the same number of RBIs as Francisco Alvarez. So there's no offensive argument for Tomas Nito. I do understand the defensive argument. I'm a former catcher myself, caught all throughout junior high and high school, stopped at my senior year of varsity, but I'm someone that was not the greatest at throwing runners out. I didn't have the best arm, but I knew how to call a game. I knew how to frame like the best of them. Like my pitchers knew that they didn't have to be perfect. They just had to be close and I'd do the rest. And I, my favorite thing was to steal strikes. It was one of my favorite uh, things to do during games was like, just I'm getting a large zone. So I'm going to be in the other batter's box. Just hit my glove. I'll do the rest. And it was my favorite when a batter would get frustrated because I was so good at my job. I recognize and respect the framing abilities of a Tomas Nito. It's why I go back to the Travis Darno incident where the Mets just kind of non-tendered him and then released him. And then he went someplace else and showed that he still had value. I thought a change of scenery, it maybe just wasn't going to work here. So I understood it, but like I recognized Darno's value, even though he didn't have a good arm, he was an excellent framer. This is the revisionist history of Piazza that I'd like to start getting out there. That Piazza, because we didn't have the framing tracking numbers that we did back in the day, that we've had to go back and take advantage of of, of modern technology, was actually an outstanding catcher. The, the, the knock on him was we didn't have the greatest arm, but every Every pitcher out there was like, he calls a great game. He, he, I feel comfortable throwing pitches to him. And then now that we're able to actually put a quantitative study and, and, and technology to those types of phrases, I understand why Tomas Nito matters. He steals strikes. Max Scherzer is comfortable throwing to him. Other pitchers are comfortable throwing to him. Fine. Which is why it's less about... Why is Thomas Tomas Nito starting over uh, Francisco Alvarez? And it's so much more about why Alvarez is here at all. Why isn't he at AAA? If he still has some improvement to do defensively, why isn't he the starting catcher in Syracuse right now? Why isn't he playing every day, getting as many reps as possible? I do not subscribe to what Buck Showalter said on Friday. The best way for especially in baseball, the best way for Alvarez to become a better catcher is to catch, is to catch as many games as possible. And his whole thing of like, well, there's value in him being a backup catcher. What are you doing? Like, this is the same kid, the 20 year old kid that got called up for his major league debut last weekend of the season, the most important three regular season games of the year for you to start him against Max free to make his major league debut in that game, to let him getting that bat in the ninth inning with the bases loaded, down three, one out, facing Kenley Jansen, 
when you've got Vogelback sitting there. You trusted him for that at bat, but you don't trust him against the Marlins more than once? Like, what are we doing? You, you, you find value in him as a backup now, but not in the most important series of the season last year? It's just, it, it's backwards. It makes no sense. You've already started the clock in this kid. He either needs to be up here playing or he needs to be down in AAA playing. That's the only way that you get better playing baseball. I'm sorry, it makes zero sense to me. This is the only thing about this team I'm frustrated by. I don't care about their record. I don't care about most of their rankings offensively. I don't care about the slow start that some people are getting off to in April. But the actual management of these young players as assets and as baseball players makes zero sense to me. If he's ready to catch Major League games, he should be playing. If he's not ready to catch Major League games, he should be playing in AAA. That's what the minor leagues are for. Before we get out of here, want to go over the next couple games and what to expect from the Mets. The next two, uh, David Peterson um, and then Tyler McGill take them out against the Padres. Uh, it's Wednesday is a 1 p.m. start. I'm looking at the schedule now and it says tomorrow, I guess technically tonight, is a TBS game. I'm hoping that is still on SNY, but I digress. And then the Mets head out west. They have an off day Thursday and they are in Oakland for the next three. Kodai Sanga, outstanding performance on Saturday. The Ghost Fork is quickly becoming my favorite pitch that's ever existed. Um, I, I will say... The reason I'm not like sounding the alarms on on Scherzer because maybe if he's not the ace, maybe Sanga and Verlander are, and then if Scherzer is just like a five inning pitcher and he's your third starter, maybe you can get away with that. Regardless, Sanga's looked amazing through two starts, and I'm I'm just really happy that the Mets invested in in a pitcher like this. Then you got Carrasco. Um, we'll 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 see. We'll we'll just we'll flat out see. Uh, couple more starts like this and Justin Verlander will be coming back to replace him in the rotation. And then you got Max Scherzer, hopefully uh, able to go deeper into a game, but back on the mound next Sunday at 4 PM. Again, they're in Oakland this weekend to begin a West coast trip, a 10 game West coast trip in which they're in Oakland again, then against the Dodgers and then against the San Francisco giants. Um, I will be back with an episode Sunday night. So between the last Oakland game and the first Dodger game, just to kind of recap what the last five games were, I wanted to get an episode up um, so I didn't completely ignore the the home opening weekend. Going to spread these episodes out a little bit too. Uh, For those who know what I do outside of the Mets, you understand why. But uh, for those who don't, uh, the the stuff I do for Nick's Film School, my my job, I should say, at Nick's Film School, um, we are in the middle of, of playoff preview week between the Knicks and the Cavaliers. So I'm not going to be able to watch baseball as religiously as I'd like to, while shout out to the ability to watch on a second screen. Um, I, I, this is where I will get let you guys in, like, Sunday, Knicks played their final regular season game. Mets were playing at the exact same time. Knicks got the iPad. Mets got the television. So my priorities are still there. Don't worry. And on that note, that'll do it for this session. If you had fun, if you feel better, please head over to iTunes. Drop a five-star rating and a review. Like I said, I'll be back Sunday night recapping the rest of the Padre series and then the rest of the Oakland series. I guess the entirety of the Oakland series. Hopefully more positives than negatives. But until next time, thank you for listening. Let's go, Mets, and I will speak with you soon. Peace. Yeah!